Welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you every Thursday night over on Facebook or YouTube land. The chats are always fun. Love, love interacting with you over there. Just remember, your chats may end up on the show. So watch yourself. Um, as always, if you can't watch us live, catch the replay or in your favorite podcasting app. You know me. My name is John Rourke. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up for his introduction, Jason Richards. How's it going, Jason? It's good. Um, are you hitting wrong buttons tonight, John? You, dude, you you know what you do to me. I know. Uh, Jason Richards here, past master, Vacation Lodge number sixteen in Clifton, Virginia. Glad to be here. As you wish, Joe Martinez. How are you? Wow, there was no intro. It was just boom, Joe Martinez. That's usually how you enter the room. <laughs> that is how I do life. Yes, Joe Martinez, still worshipful master of Manassa Lodge number one eighty two. In Manassas, Virginia, member of a whole bunch of other things, and as always, damn glad to be here. Awesome. Robert Johnson, how's it going? It's going well. Glad to be here. Robert Johnson, past master, Waukegan 78, current sitting secretary at uh, two lodges, Space Novum 1183 and Waukegan 78. Nice. Two lifetime appointments. Yes. I guess. Good man. And special guest for tonight's episode. That is brother Billy Hamilton. How's it going? Hey, good evening. Um, Billy. Oh, Billy. (laughs) So I am Billy Hamilton. I am a past master of Fort Worth Lodge 148 in Fort Worth, Texas, and current master of Texas Lodge Research. Excellent. Good to have you on here tonight. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's an honor. All right. All right. So uh, let's pay some bills and give a special shout out to the patrons who support the show. You guys are awesome. As always, if you want to be a patron or support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. And big news for our patrons this week. Go to the app store, depending on which flavor of device you use if you want to be cool use an android if you want to be like joe use an use an apple iphone and download the patreon app where you can actually chat with us live 24 7 and we we are going to commit to 24 7 because you know we have people in different time zones joe never sleeps so it's gonna be great robert never sleeps yeah good luck to everybody that gets 4 a.m joe you guys (laughs) (laughs) i sleep but it's more like I take cat naps in the midst of the day. Uh, or do you do like the like the old English or like the I do do that colonial, right? You kind of like wake up for four hours in the middle of the night. Yeah, not four read. hours. Like I'll get up around three. Uh, I'll be up until about five, and go back to hmm. bed till about eight. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a another show topic right there. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's uh, shift into tarot card of the week. So, what have we got? What have we got? We have the Millennial Tarot. That's so basic. 
70 so, cards then, for the journey of adulting because the struggle is real. Uh, my wife got this for me for my 40th birthday. And when you open it, it actually doesn't do anything. <laughs> all the cards are just nothing. I thought I thought that was the Gen Z tarot. <laughs> oh, burn. Gen, Gen Z, they like to be the center of attention, but freak out when they're the center right. of attention. And so tonight we have... What do we have? Queen of Feels. Of the Feels. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so good. That's fabulous. What's the uh, what's the bit at the bottom? So we got Queen of Feels, Mother's Intuition. What's what's the subtext there? Yeah. Mastering feminine energy. There you go. Hey, that's pretty sweet. That is spot on. This uh, so this this deck is actually quite good. So that'd be Queen of Cups in a Rider Waite uh, Smith system. So Queen of Cups is uh, basically your emotionally stable maternal figure, right? So think of think of the mom that's got it all together, or you know, um, cool, calm, collective, right? Um, definitely not flying off the handle. That would be more of like a Knight of Cups, but just the opposite, right? Yep. Big big mom energy. Yep. Absolutely. I dig it. That's a good one. Very cool. Mm -hmm. That's a cool one. All right. Well, let's get right into tonight's topic then. So we're going to talk tonight about, as the title says, ancient mysteries and modern masonry with the one Billy Hamilton. So, Billy, why do you yes, know sir. so much about this? So um, this actually comes from, um, so I, I've been kind of an, an IT nerd for most of my adult life, right? Uh, after about 20 years, I decided to take a break. And uh, I was offered and accepted a position as the general manager of the Grand Lodge Library Museum of Texas. Radical nice. shift, right? But uh, perfect for a Masonic nerd. Um, mm -hmm. And so Joel Preston Lightfoot, he, he's one of the Texas giants, right? There's a couple of grandmasters that live large in Texas masonry. You have, you know, Sam P. Cochran, Joel P. Lightfoot, um, you know, and, and I, I'd say more recently, Jimmy Wilson. These are kind of uh, our, our giants, our, our mythical uh, status grandmasters. Um, you know, as, as a matter of fact, when you visit our Grand Lodge session, our Grand Chapter, our Grand Council, you know, his influence is still there because he designed the aprons that the Grand Officers wear. Um, usually most, mostly Bromwell's uh, restorations of Masonic geometry. Um, you know, he, he designed the pillars that are in front. So, you know, his influence, it, you can see find Illinois Mason. He was an Illinois Mason. <laughs> <laughs> He's a transplant, right? He is. He's been everywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, he is quite prolific. Yeah, yeah by the way. Sweet and, book. And he loved that book. Yeah, if you if you go through there and then what book is that the, for our um, audio listeners? It's Restorations of Masonic Geometry and Symbolry by Bromwell. Nice. Yeah, it's currently reprinted by one Kevin Townley of Colorado. Nice. Yeah, I think right, it's go still ahead, Billy. For, no, I, I think it's still available for sale on the Grand Lodge website. At least it was when I last looked at hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, but you, uh, can't, so, you can't find it there. There's like 90,000 pages 
on the Grand Lodge of Texas website. Like, if you ever want something, you're never going to find it. It's like, like McCoy's, you know, yeah, you got to go through 4,000 pages. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Did I say Grand Lodge of Texas? I'm in Grand Lodge of Colorado. So, oh, well, they're awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's on That's their all. website. I retract my last. <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, he lives large in, in Texas masonry. And while I was there, uh, so, we have a vault with like our special collections and, and there's amazing stuff in there. Uh, you'd find like a first edition of Eliphas Levy's uh, history and ritual of magic oh, uh, nice. in there. You'll find uh, not you know, anymore. First, you won't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's why I don't say exactly where it's. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, so the location is hidden, but uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of, of, amazing stuff in there and so during my downtime the, the little bit of downtime i had in between you know caring for um you know the the air conditioning unit went out or we had a leak from a pipe or something like that during my downtime when i wasn't taking care of that i would go in there and just look around uh in about halfway in the room there were a couple of nondescript boxes uh and on the outside it just said jewel p lightfoot and so i pulled them out took them to my desk and started digging through them and it was mostly typewritten, in some cases, handwritten documents that were Jewel E. Lightfoot's personal papers. They were donated by his wife wow. after he passed away in 1950, uh, in just hundreds and hundreds of pages. Uh, so I started going through them, um, scanned them, uh, started transcribing them. Uh, and I noticed that uh, there was a series that was in here, right? Uh, there were about 10 presentations they gave at the Fort Worth Scottish Rite uh, Club then, because it wasn't a valley yet of its own. Uh, it was uh, a club out of the Dallas Valley. Uh, but um, that met in the same temple that my Masonic Lodge meets. You know, So there's a connection there. Uh, and he delivered these presentations over the course of about, uh, he would deliver one a month. So over the course of 10 months, uh, he did this extraordinary presentation following what he believed was the journey of Freemasonry, uh, starting with the, uh, the Indus Valley, right, and the Brahmin religion. Then he believed that it influenced the Chaldeans, they influenced uh, the Egyptians, and then Moses, being an initiate of the Egyptian mysteries, took it with him to the Hebrews, uh, and then with the Jewish diaspora that it spread throughout Europe and became encoded in masonry. So as I'm digging through this, I'm like, this is amazing. This is, you know, some of this is dated. I'm not going to lie. Some of this has been disproven, uh, but it's amazing to see a guy who's trying to make these connections a hundred years ago. Uh, and so I took the papers, I started organizing them and uh, I started talking to a couple of people about it and found a publisher that, you know, was, uh, interested in publishing it and so here we are and now it's a it's a book under westphalia press awesome yeah the, uh, i love that journey like that you just described let's just because again you perfect you set it up perfectly where you know you're there you're surrounded by awesome masonic texts right and we i mean that'd be a great job to have just just for the downtime alone right where you can just go exploring right and then you find these little nuggets of awesomeness that you know have been sitting there kind of off by themselves. Really no one's done any research with them for a while and you find this thing and it speaks to you. That's the, like the first thing, right? You wouldn't have started 
you know, transcribing these if it didn't have some sort of connection with you. And again, you, you mentioned even just some of the historical connections with your lodge, but then you start compiling it, you start trying to find themes and you're finding like a lot of cool research, education, Masonic education that comes out of this that you want to share with the world. So again, I, you know, I applaud you for the time and effort that it took to compile all this together, um, make it make sense, make it, make it flow together. Cause I'm sure there was just a lot of, a lot of research things that you had to, to sift through. Mm. Um, but yeah, and, and, and I'll, I'll echo you on that too. Cause, uh, when, when Robert and I, um, did, um, plumber's work about the, 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 the master's word again, same thing man of his time there are some things that uh either science has proven false or some of his assumptions were wrong at the time um but that's that's part of discovery that's part of learning right mm -hmm. and what he just went with the assumptions he had at the time try to make some connections and you know and we learn as society moves on so again th thank you for for doing that so you you basically uh annotated some of lightfoot stuff along the way too correct uh there were a couple of annotations in there mm -hmm. i'll be honest not as many as there needs to be. Uh, I was talking to uh, one of the members on our uh, committee on education for Grand Lodge, uh, and he's already putting the bug in my ear about there needs to be a complete annotated edition of this to see where he got it from, uh, because some of it is pretty obvious. Uh, like one of the annotations I have there is, uh, you know, this section was lifted straight from Blavatsky's Isis Unveiled. Uh, he was hugely influenced by Blavatsky, so it wouldn't surprise me if there's tons of stuff in there that that she had previously written on or other theosophical um, writers. Uh, he relies a lot on Pike, uh, but, you know, he also goes back into some of the writers who talked about biblical topics in the 1600s, 1500s. Uh, so, I mean, he pulled from a wide range of sources. Uh, and what's cool is um, his library his personal library forms a, a core part of the esoteric section of the grand lodge of texas library uh and what i used to love doing is if i found something that seemed a little weird right like you know qbl from frater akkad i would open it up and there would be jewel p lightfoot's uh book plate on the inside nice okay uh, wait 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 let me stop you there for a second right the grand lodge of texas has an esoteric section of its library uh, they do actually. They're, On they're Masonic conduct. No, no, no. It's, it's none of Someone them bring no, charges. They don't have any records or or LPs, so there's no music involved. So it's okay. Oh, okay. There's no music there. Actually, that's not that's true. I I found a box full of LPs and I pulled it out. What? Uh, yeah. And uh, but you know it's not it it is a, a public section but yes there's music actually <gasps> and uh, yeah it, it's very interesting it's from like the nineteen geez I would say maybe the nineteen sixties what interesting yeah Billy really is world shattering tonight that's what he's yes. doing <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was not music used in ritual so breaking paradigm uh, okay that's so the difference I'm, I'm curious Billy as you're going through this right you're putting this book together. Obviously, you have an interest in what it covers. Like sometimes people go, oh, this is fascinating. I have to tell the world about this. This, this book cannot be lost under history for whatever reason. Um, a lot of times it's just preservation-based because mm -hmm. this person was so cool. Like we've heard of Lightfoot, but maybe we've not seen the depth of his writing. 
But in your case, I, I am curious to know, did you find yourself like as John and I go through George Plumer's work when we were doing Master's Word, as we went through it, we're looking for and hoping not like we're always on the edge of our seat, finding something cringeworthy, right? Like okay. it's so true. You know, Ooh, what do we do about that? And they yeah. never happened because he was like <laughs> super liberal of his time and like really kind of avoided a lot of those kinds of things. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, as you're reading <clears throat> through Lightfoot's work there, did you find yourself uh, two part question? One, did you find yourself like waiting for those like kind of weird moments and then going, gee whiz, in this kind of weird climate, what happens if I republish something with words like this? And two, did you find yourself going, this is fascinating and like it's of your own interest? Like you were super interested in exactly what he was talking about. Never annotate your heroes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do have to say, you know, in respect to Jewel P. Lightfoot, uh, the person, uh, I didn't really encounter anything, you know, that, that shook my my view of him as a person. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I went through, um, you know, so I, I did a paper on Sam Peacock and the other, you know, one of the other giants I spoke about, you know, and he was very active in the 1910s, 1920s. Uh, what's interesting is he was actually elected grandmaster at the same uh, annual communication that Joe P. Lightfoot was elected grand junior warden. So that's where I, it's mind blowing for me to, to figure those two people in the same grand line. Right. Uh, but going through Cochrane's papers, you know, I found a couple of things that were, you know, questionable, you know, and, and you have to ask yourself, you know, and, and some of these were not stuff that he wrote, but that he received, you know, in turn. And it's like, you have to ask yourself how much do you support this or not? Um, you know, but being well, at that was time, what was the context of the time too? I think it's it's really really important to put everything in that original context. It doesn't sure. doesn't make it right say, but it at least you know helps shape the the entirety of the story. Yeah, yeah. And in Cochran's case, right? You know, I came across a uh, there's a postcard from a company that he was an investor in. Uh, you know, and it had uh, um, you know it, it had a child of color in there, and uh, you know a, a little bit of a racist overtone to the the content right to the text of of the postcard you know and it makes you wonder you know it's not from cochran but it's to cochran and it's for a company that he's an investor of and so you have to ask yourself you know you, you can't say one way or the other but it does make you question that i didn't find anything like that in joe p lightfoot stuff uh he was very much the material that we received um you know from mrs lightfoot after he uh, passed away was very focused on just masonry. Um, you know, there cool. was not much. I mean, he was very much a patriot. Uh, he was very much into, um, you know, masonry, but um, it was interesting. The one thing I was looking for was I wanted to find a stack of dues cards because uh, like I said, in his personal uh, library, he has the weirdest stuff. Um, and he has a complete set of um, the Equinox, Alistair Crowley's, uh, you know, series of, of books that he published. You know, those he has a complete set there. And so I was always looking for something to see if he was involved in any actual magical orders, because so much of his work, so much of his personal library was dedicated to that. 
Well, and, and that, and I think you and I spoke about this when, when I first saw the book, uh, which was a couple of months ago. Um, this is a very cool grandmaster that Texas had. Like we, we can't underscore that enough, right? It's number one, he was young, right? How old was he when he was grandmaster? So he was 42, but if you look at his picture, he looks like he's like 12. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> super young. Very and young. Uh, super young. And exactly, you mentioned uh, Blavatsky before. I mean, he lived in the time of the great theosophists and mm. that spiritual awakening that was happening, especially here in the United States. You know, a lot on the West, you know, you always hear about the West Coast folks. West Coast people were doing awesome things and chilling and doing magical stuff. Um, so it's cool that some of that, awesomeness made its way to texas oh you yeah. know and you know I'm, I'll, I'll repeat the thing i told you after I, I read the book the first time i was completely in awe that this was written by the grandmaster of texas you know what i mean or these speeches were given because you don't go to grand annual communication anywhere in the country and hear talks like you right. published here in this book from a there grandmaster. Was, yeah <laughs> that, that level of conversation that goes a little a layer deeper than the surface stuff you usually hear today yeah yeah you know, nowhere in, in his work that you published did we hear about, uh, you know, per capita raises and, uh, you know, green having, bean dinners. Yeah, having having yeah. crab roasts and, you know, or barbecues, whatever, whatever y'all do in Texas, um, you know, in order to spur membership. You wait, wait. None of that. You just did you say crab roasts? Whatever the heck it is. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Wow. You know, I thought you were here in Texas just recently, Joe. That's, uh, that's I was, and I, do. <laughs> it is not what you do. You know, I had a lovely time in Texas. And so everybody on the interwebs knows Billy Hamilton is the most gracious host I have ever had. Did um, you go to a crab roast while you were there, Joe? No, I didn't. But you know, I was trying, I was trying to relate to the people, you know, and, and do what they do, you know? So, um, they fancied it up. They had, Roasted crab. Broasted. <laughs> no, we had like half a cow or something to us. <laughs> yes, I think I had half a cow last time I was in Texas. But um, but yeah, man, I, I'm just in awe of of the things that that Brother Lightfoot wrote about and was passionate about, and he got to share with everybody. Because again, it is so anathema to today's view of administrative masonry. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like, and he was very much involved in that too. He was the chairman of the uh, of the Grand Lodge Jurisprudence Committee for years, right, until he died. Uh, so, I mean, you're talking about maybe 30, 35 years of just involved in Grand Lodge legal aspects. Um, you know, and uh, not only that, also at the Grand Encampment level, because he was uh, a four star. So he was. You know, a past grand high priest, past grand master, the grand council, past grand commander, the grand commandery of Texas. Uh, and he was on the jurisprudence committee for the grand encampment. Uh, so he was very much involved with the day to day minutiae business. Uh, but you can tell that that wasn't really I mean, obviously, he was he was dedicated to it because he did it for so long. Uh, but his real passion was trying to connect these dots. Where did masonry come from? Uh, you know, what are the influences upon it? Um you know, and, and you see that in the book, he connects to a lot of the ancient mysteries. And what's really cool about it is he goes beyond that. And he says, well, yeah, there were mysteries, but there were lesser mysteries and greater mysteries, right? And so you, you're brought into the lesser mysteries, you know, like being raised to the sublime degree of a master mason, right? You're, you're open, the door is open to you and you got to take it upon yourself to then dive into the greater mysteries. 
and and so that I think is what he was very much into is looking for the greater mysteries. I found a notebook of his where he used to write his own notes. Uh, and so this was a man that as he's reading a book, he would keep a, a notebook up by his side and he would say, oh, that's an interesting thing about Moses. Moses, you know, Isis unveiled page 274 or whatever. Uh, and so as he's writing, he, he is right. Or he, or as he's reading, he's looking for these connections in, you know, he's very much investigating it. Uh, and as I write about a book, in the in the intro almost like he's putting together a case for us because he was an attorney he was attorney general of texas when he was selected to grand junior warden um and so he's he that's you could tell that's what he was really interested in so yeah so, sounds very much like uh, like what pike would do like when he would try to like pull all these sources together um some better some worse but right. yeah, well, well, you got me thinking as, as you were saying that, because I mean, one of the big differences and and please chime in anybody, not just Billy, if I'm wrong, is you don't hear too much. Um, you know, he touches on Egypt. You know, lots of people during that time wrote about Egypt and its relation to Freemasonry, things like that. Um, obviously, we get the uh, Judeo-Christian flavorings in there. Right. Mm -hmm. But he talks about and, and you have it in a decent sized section in the book about india and the indus valley and stuff and that's not a place where a lot of your traditional ancient mystery masonic authors go to is back to the indus valley you know mm -hmm. what i mean and we tend to forget or we don't care or we don't watch the history channel enough to know that um you know that was one of the oldest civilizations that was out there was the indus valley civilization you know way before egypt way before northern africa way before um what ended up becoming the Jewish people, you know, in the ancient Near East, they were there for thousands of years beforehand and doing stuff. And we as Masons don't hear about it that much. Right. So I find it interesting that Lightfoot kind of honed in on that and did a bit of research on that as well. Oh yeah. He even talks about that. They had a three degree system, just like we do, you know, in the Brahmin uh, priesthood. Uh, and it, it's, it's interesting because, uh, he does talk a lot about it, right? And and he even has a table. It appears because um, there is one talk on there that in in the book that I feel he he covered previously. But there's so much new material that I feel it kind of stood alone as a chapter. Uh, but he talks about the days of Brahma, right? And he even uh, is trying to figure out how does this work into. It's almost like he's trying to reconcile the biblical story of creation with what new science was telling him at the time about geological ages, uh, you know, and he even breaks down like a day of Brahma is like a, you know, one point something billion years. Uh, and he goes through this very complex calculation of how he got to that. Uh, but when you think about it, you know, it makes sense, right? If you have seven, seven days and each day is, is one and a half billion years, it's like you actually get pretty close to the age of the math, earth. Math checks out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting approach. Yeah. So for you, again, you, you covered a lot in the book, but like what was a thread or a theme or a, a subject that really jumped out for you like, that you really were passionate about or were really interested in? Uh, so for me, I thought it was interesting how he connected the different al alphabets together because he, he connects. So there's a lot of writers that do connect the Hebrew alphabet and the Greek alphabet. Uh, but he took it even further, and he 
he connected the Druidic alphabet, which is something I've never seen before, oh. uh, and tries to say, you know, they all have a common theme. And actually, he went with, you know, it's based on the different trees and the shapes of the leaves, you know, influenced the shapes of the characters. Uh, so that was very cool. Um, I think, though, out of the entire thing, so so the the esoteric stuff is, is very interesting. Uh, how he uses the Great Pyramid of Giza to come up with the Egyptian royal cubit. Uh, and then that through Moses was transferred to become uh, the Hebrew uh, cubit, you know, uh, the sacred cubit. Uh, so that was very cool to see. But my personal point of it is there's one, there's one section in there where he talks about being a master Mason. Uh, and he says, it's something that cannot be it cannot be given. One person cannot make another person a master mason. It's something that is a becoming. It's an enfoldment. Uh, it's something huh. that. And why do we do masons on site? Oh, <gasps> wait, <laughs> dude! I love that. I love that that uh, that that quote though, because it reminds me of a paraphrase of uh, Mark Twain, where it says, uh, "You become a mason twice: once when you're raised, and again when you know why." Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and he's very much of that school. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the Mason on site, I don't know, because uh, I don't think we do that here in Texas. <laughs> uh, but, but it's very cool to say, you know what, we can open the door for you, but you have to make the journey. And, uh, you know, there's, he even talks about there's a lot of brothers that are made Masons, uh, but they never really understand what Masonry is. Um, you know, and, and I think that spoke to me a lot because sorry, yeah. my mic was muted. You yes, get applause. S slow clap. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, he talks about we do a disservice because we don't take the effort to educate. You know, or at least expand the mind of, of the members that that join. Uh, and I think you see that not just with Lightfoot, but a lot of people back. You know, even during this golden age of Freemasonry, right? And we have. You know, people beating down the door trying to join, uh, and you see a lot of a lot of the more esoteric masons say, "Well, wait a second, you know." Um, so we get them in, but what are we doing then? You know, what are they doing? Uh, how does it benefit them? How do they benefit us? Uh, and it's a very interesting question, and and it's something that I think he he hits head on. You know. It I find it super interesting. I, I thought I stopped paying attention for a second and I thought you were talking about today. <laughs> well, okay, that was going to be my next question. Like if Lightfoot were here today, either in Texas or in the state of masonry in the United States, based on your research, you know, how do you think he would feel? How do you think he would approach the current state of affairs? I think he was very much in, in touch with, uh, you know, there, there needs to be a reason for what we do and why we do it. Um, there is not just an, and I think it's, it's across the board in just about every jurisdiction. Um, lodges, not just grand lodges, but lodges are so interested with getting people that uh, often they overlook stuff, right? They don't get to know the candidates or, you know, they take all sorts of shortcuts. Uh, I think he would be very... My my personal feeling, just by reading his his, his comments, sure. yeah, is uh, I don't think he'd be happy with that at all, right? You know, if at the time when we have you know millions of masons, 
uh, he's like, well, wait a second. What are we doing? What are you learning? Why are you, you know, why do you come to lodge? You know, how can you call yourself a Mason if you don't do the research? Uh, and today when it's like, uh, hey, you know, you you just walked into our door. We already have a pre-filled petition for you. Here you go. Uh, I think he would be um, very upset with that. <laughs> and he has a pendant body like petitions ready to go right after you're racing too. So okay. oh, yeah. he's got, yeah, your Shriners petition, right? Right. Bam. Next year, right. Bam. Next year, Scottish right. You're great. Bam. Yeah. yeah. I remember actually, and that's been going on here for decades. I mean, not, not just in Texas. I was, I was initiated in Oklahoma, uh, in Lawton, Oklahoma. My father was military. So, um, you know, I, I was initiated in Triangle Lodge 548 in Lawton, Oklahoma. Then I moved to take a job at Intel in Arizona. So I was passed and raised through an Arizona lodge. Uh, and I remember walking out of my Master Mason's degree, just brand new Master Mason, right? Maybe 10 minutes. And there's two guys waiting for me at the door, York Rite and Scottish Rite. And they didn't have the shrine because this was 98. So, you know, back then you had to, you had to do one or the other. Yeah. yeah. You had to work for it. Yeah, today it would be three petitions, you know, <laughs> not just the two. Man. We can do that in a one-day conferral. Don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, wow. uh, yeah, well, one thing I did want to bring up, though, is uh, Lightfoot was also different than, uh, you know, a lot of Grandmasters. Uh, I, I've had this conversation recently with, uh, you know, we have a fair number of Grandmasters that... Um, you know, what have they done personally or professionally? And not to, you know, not to talk bad about anybody, but, you know, there was a time when it, it was kind of a position of standing, right? Um, and Lightfoot was uh, attorney general for Texas, and he raised antitrust cases. Um, and what I love about him is, so not only is he this great esoteric mason, uh, but he was a pit bull apparently in the, in the courtroom. Uh, he would... Uh, he was brought in as an assistant attorney general for the state of Texas, uh, and he won a case which was the largest fine uh, in an antitrust case. Actually, it was the largest fine ever levied uh, against a company in the state of Texas up to that time. Uh, it was like $1.7 million, which was a huge thing, against uh, Pierce Waters yeah. uh, Oil then, Company. Yeah. Uh, and he went all the way up to the Supreme Court, uh, and they still won. Uh, and but Lightfoot being the person he was, uh, when it came time for the company to pay the fine, he made them pay it in cash. <laughs> so <laughs> the newspapers of the day actually have uh, the story of Lightfoot standing there in in a courtroom in Austin with the table in front of him, and these executives and attorneys from the the Pierce Waters Oil Company uh, going and just dropping stacks of cash and gold coins you know and you could tell they were trying to make a big production out of it to kind of i would have paid in pennies out of spite oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Just in the dump trunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but that was the type of guy he was he's like uh you know what this is no nonsense don't give us a check or a bank draft or something like that we want cash you, know? you gotta and feel that, it that's the type of person i think he was and i think that's probably the type of mason he was as well that's phenomenal. But to your point, I think I think that because um, I know you were you were messaging me about that, and and I found that super interesting. We we don't I don't think we hold either ourselves or or the people themselves 
hold these offices in the same regard as were done a hundred years ago, right? Like, you know, we don't, we don't expect our, our Grand Lodge officers to be the elder statesmen in the community and things like that. You don't see that anymore, right? Because they don't do it, you know, or we belittle it, right? It's like, oh, you're a Mason. I'm going to keep it quiet and hush, hush. And I'm only going to show up once a month and eat my green beans and do my thing quietly. And, you know, um, whereas during his time, people were proud of it, you know? And so I, I think it's a double-edged sword, right? There's, there's a, a pride thing where some of us don't espouse the fact that we're Masons without being braggadocious about it. Right. Or, you know, um, you know, wearing absurd amounts of regalia and lapel pins and things like that. But, you know, in that same token and rings and lots of rings, um, skull whatever. bracelets and okay. you got to accentuate when you have nothing up here, guys. Okay. So, <laughs> Sonic hats, Masonic hats galore again to protect you from the glare. But, um, but yeah, no, I think it's something that we do in, 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 in hush dark places more so nowadays than we did a hundred years ago. Right. Like, you know, one thing that you guys do, um, that I see every year posted on Facebook is you have that, um, you have that big to do at the Alamo, right. Mm -hmm. Where a whole bunch of Masons come and everybody's there and it's, you know, um, you guys are, uh, memorializing that day and, it's community and it's Masons and it's everybody. And it's, it's, it was probably a hundred times more. So things like that back then, you know, where now it's very few and far between. Now you get six dudes in a float doing a parade, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh yeah, we, we showed up for the community. Yeah. Yeah. No. And in, in here in Texas, actually, I, I think we're blessed because there's so much that happened in Texas history. I mean, Masons, you know, were a part of a lot of different States and countries histories, but here in Texas, especially so, because we do have the Alamo, uh, you know, and we do the, the Goliad observance as well, right? You know, some of the other um, notorious battles or massacres in, you know, uh, San Jacinto. And most of those guys, most of the officers um, were Texas Masons. Uh, you know, every president of the republic, every vice president, every secretary of state, and a fair number of the, of the legislature during the Republic of Texas, we're all Masons. Uh, as a matter of fact, our Grand Lodge was formed in the uh, Texas Senate, the original one in Houston, and met there for a couple of years until they were finally able to build their own building. Uh, so Texas didn't Masons- you guys do a, Didn't you guys do a degree a couple of years ago in that building? Or oh, yeah. like in, in the, yeah, the Texas- The Austin State Capitol. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did they have a crab roast while they were there? <laughs> <laughs> uh no i i don't uh, oh okay good yeah good yeah. not not a good degree then correct yeah, answer I, I i think if uh if it didn't end with a barbecue i think some people would have been uh you know kicked out of town run <laughs> yeah. out of the rail yeah. expelled from masonry that's right yeah because that's how we do it it's got unmasonic conduct <laughs> yeah uh so we got a question in the the chat here do you know much about Lightfoot's educational background. You talked about his vocational background. Mm -hmm. What about his educational background? So actually I was looking into that um, because I'm giving a talk on Lightfoot, the man uh, at uh, one of the lodges next month. Uh, and so he was born in, in 1873. He graduated from, I mean, it was called college and a lot of people assumed it was the college, but it was actually the, the school, you know, it, it was, it was kindergarten through 12 or well, first grade through 12. 
uh, and they called it a college. And so people assumed he graduated from college in 1890 at the age of 17. Wow, amazing. But it, it wasn't. It was he graduated from high school uh, and he became a night telegraph operator and studied law while working overnight at the telegraph for the railroad. Uh, and he did that. I'm not sure when he actually passed the bar exam. Uh, and I don't see any indication that he went to an actual university. Uh, I think he actually studied law like he, you know, in the uh, you didn't always have to get a legal education at an institution. You used to be able to study under an attorney and then stand for the bar. He did the Lincoln approach. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly when he was admitted to the bar, but he was elected Camp County attorney for Camp County in Texas in 1898. So somewhere between 1890 and 1898, he passed the bar. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure exactly you know, his education other than that, um, you know, we just have the, the high school that he graduated from. Uh, I've been looking and I haven't been able to find any other records of, you know, uh, he didn't go to Texas A&M or the University of Texas or anything like that. Uh, that would be interesting, but uh, it looks like he did, uh, he became an attorney through kind of the long, hard working process. Well, it's good he didn't go to one of those two colleges because then half the Texas Masons would hate him and the other would love him, right? Because he's very polarizing. <laughs> of yes. course. Yeah. See, he was smart. Even back then, he was avoiding the politics. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, very cool. But, but uh, yeah, no, he was an interesting guy. Uh, like I said, he was a uh, Camp County attorney for, uh, he served three terms before he was appointed the assistant attorney general in, I believe, 1905, uh, became the attorney general for the state of Texas, appointed by the governor in 1910 and served for three years in that position before he left, started his own law firm. Uh, and then, um, yeah, and, and that was pretty much his, his life, right? Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so no indication of, of other schools, though. Well, before I forget, I do want to make sure uh, we get a chance to plug the book because we've talked so much about it and talked about Lightfoot's past. So let me uh, share my screen here uh, so people can find the book on. Um, oh, wait, sorry. Wrong tab. I got the wrong tab up here. Uh, Crab roast. We have it on Amaz uh, Amazon, right? You do have it listed there. Absolutely. Or you can get it through Westphalia Publishing. Uh, directly from them as well. All right. And how how do they find that URL? Um. So actually, that's uh. Yeah. Dang it! I put it on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I put you on the spot there, especially throwing throw this curveball at the last minute. Hurry we'll, up, we'll, Billy. We'll obs we'll observe this uh, Joe Martinez meme while while we're at it. Um, <laughs> but some people some people like to you know go right to the publisher, so it's it's worth the time to go and oh. uh, support the the local publisher. Yeah, so it's uh, at westphaliapress.org. Uh, that's W-E-S-T-P-H-A-L-I-A press.org. Yeah, there we go. It's not a memento mori calendar in your background. It, it huh? might it might be. Okay. Call right, back there to you go. Just published. Woo! <clears throat> nice. So there you go. And 
have to find ancient mysteries, ancient mysteries. It's in there. There it is. Nope. Wrong one. You're not there. Internet. The there. other ancient mysteries. There you go. Yeah. There, I, I didn't realize, uh, you know, and I selected it because that's a phrase from the actual book. That was something he actually right. wrote. He actually talked about the ancient mysteries and how they relate to modern masonry. Uh, and so that's why I used that as a title. And then once it was published and I went to Amazon and I saw it, I'm like, oh, oh, there's another book already with that title. <laughs> there's only supposed to be one ancient mysteries. All that's right. right. Good, it's so. going to be like Highlander. We're going to have to track down the other book. <laughs> there can only be one. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, very, very cool. Yeah, and I see people sharing that on, on the, the comments as well. So that's super awesome. Um, any last parting words on what inspired you or any other takeaways? I guess one last question I had for you related to that mm -hmm. is, who is this book for, right? Because there's lots of different Masons that read different books for different reasons. Who would, who would be the, the target audience for this specific book? People who I go to crab roasts. Crab roasts, Cindy. <laughs> yeah, I think before, if you were interested in, in if there was something more, right? And if there was something to the meanings of, of masonry, I think this would be for you. It's some of it gets very technical. Uh, so it may not be the first book that you look for, but, uh, you know, if you are trying to figure out, well, you know, this, this feels like uh, there's a lot of stuff that we have that feels like, uh, you know, Kabbalah, you know, and uh, so he doesn't necessarily talk about Kabbalah, but he talks about the, you know, how the mysteries pass through Israel, you know, before it, it came on the Europe. Um, so, you know, this is a way to say, you know what? Yeah. You know, there, there could be some Jewish mysticism in our ritual. Uh, if you were interested, you know, there's some things that there's a astrological orientation to some of the rituals that we have. Uh, and this is a way to, you can look at this book and say, you know what? Yeah, there is something because the Chaldeans and the ancient Magi, you know, were, were very much into astrology and that could have somehow gotten in there. So if you're looking for um, a historical journey through symbolism, I, I think this would be for you. Uh, especially if, if you're already familiar with Lightfoot through his commentaries at the end of his monitor, which are fantastic. If, if you haven't had a chance to pick that up, um, I think you can get Lightfoot's commentaries uh, or his monitor with the commentaries in the back up pretty inexpensive on, uh, on eBay. For us who don't speak Texas or crab roast, can you tell us what Lightfoot's monitor is? Yeah. So it was the actual, um, so we haven't had a, a code book, but we've always had, until recently, uh, but we've always had a monitor that had the open portions, right? So the the prayers that could be given in public, um, you know, there there are some some open portions of the ritual, and it talks about the tactics of the ritual, right? You know, the circumambulation, uh, why we do that, what it means, how many times you're supposed to do it, and so forth for each degree. Uh, the monitor was the book that we had that codified all of that. Uh, and Lightfoot was in charge of one of the revisions. Uh, and that's why it, it's called Lightfoot's monitor. But in the back, it's uh, it's got a commentary in there where he goes into astrology and he talks about the astrological layout of the lodge, uh, complete with diagrams. Uh, he talks about, um, you know, the, the star and what it means, you know, uh, he, he goes very much deep into the symbolism that, uh, 
it's in our ritual that we a lot of times we just kind of gloss over or we don't think about too much um and so if if you have the chance to, to pick up that that book um i know I, i've talked to robert davis told me that uh you know it's one of his favorite monitors um you know from all the jurisdictions well uh, is, it still, is, is it still the one in use or has it been replaced by later ones no it was replaced i think in 1982 uh, it was uh, replaced in Jimmy Wilson's year, actually. Uh, <laughs> and But the commentaries, um, the Grand Lodge of Texas actually has the commentaries as a separate printed document that you can get. Wow. Uh, and I think even a lot of Texan Masons don't know that it's available to the Grand Lodge. Nice. Awesome. Oh, I'm going to buy it right now. I was going to say, like, yeah, I know some guys that would be very interested in reading those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. In, if we, in, if we only knew a guy at the library who could hook us yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not there anymore. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm now Gosh. a data analyst. Uh, I was lured away by money, and uh, it was enough that I couldn't say no. Oh. <laughs> well, it's nice to eat once in a while, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, know. you know, when the kids need braces, it's like, uh, yeah. oh, I, I, I think <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> Can't have Panera every day, you know, working at the library, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, good stuff. Uh, question, final question of the night, which <laughs> is, and we'll save you for last, Billy, uh, or next to last. Uh, let's see. Crabber if Apollo. if <laughs> Lightfoot were here today, what would you like to ask him or pick his brain about? So I would really like to know about. You're supposed the, to go last. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, take it away. This no, is your no, moment. I, Let us shine, man. Let's go. That's how enthusiastic I am. He was so excited. It. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. No, no. Uh, okay. I'll wait until I'm last. I'll, I'll wait my turn with patience. So, sorry. All righty, then. Well, then. Let's say <laughs> we're gonna, all right, Joe. What do you think? Roast. Thank you for my forever emoji. Um, I will swap them out on my phone um <laughs> first of all uh big thank you to brother billy for coming on um i absolutely love you i adore you um and i cannot speak highly enough about how awesome of a mason and a person you are so so everybody knows now in facebook land and youtube land and all the interwebs that billy hamilton is an awesome awesome dude um, second and thirded yes uh but so I got to read this book, uh, you know, as soon as it came out and Billy was gracious enough to, to send me a copy. Um, I absolutely loved it. Again, I was just blown away by the words that were spoken. Cause these were given as presentations. A lot of them, um, by a, you know, a grandmaster in a jurisdiction who was passionate about the history and the allegory and the symbolism of masonry. Again, that's not the usual fare that you get from, from grandmasters. Um, and that kind of stinks because I think Freemasonry would be a lot more awesome if, if we got that from the top down approach. But so if, if, uh, brother Lightfoot were here or most worshipful brother Lightfoot as, as we should call him, um, if he were here, I think I would ask him, you know, the big, the big, why, you know, why does this fascinate you so much? What was it that you found in, 
craft masonry that led you down this road. Like we all have that, that big why or that big moment of like, I'm interested in this because of this. And I would just have to ask them, you know, why, what, what piqued your curiosity or what was it during your degrees or being a member of a lodge that spurred that interest to start to dip your toe in, in the esoteric side of things, you know, cause it's a, uh, for some people, it's a very lonely road. Um, and it's not something you get to talk about at the dinner table every night with your, with your family and 45 kids. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's what I would ask him why. And you know, what, what spurred his, yes, that's you, what spurred his interest. And, uh, if you like going to crab roasts, so mm. that's what I would ask him. Crab awesome. Thanks, Joe. Thank Jason. You. So <clears throat> the question I would ask, uh, brother Lightfoot is what, if anything, would you adapt for the Ooh. Freemasonry of today and why? Um, music. When you, well, when you, when you look at, especially like oral traditions, you can, you know, from the fragments that are actually written down, you can see minor adaptations uh, to make them a little bit more relevant for the audience that's hearing them at the time. And so with the ancient mysteries uh, and all of the esoteric goodies that, that Lightfoot devoted a lot of uh, his research to, I'd be interested in how he might, um, in you know, whatever adaptations he might make to, to tweak the relevance to like today's organization. There's no innovations in masonry, Jason. Sorry. Just the master masons degree. Just, just the, all the ones since the 17th. It's the entire like speculative masonry thing. Okay. All right. So I'll allow it. All right, Billy, over to you. And then I'll close this out. So what would you ask him since you are so well learned and well researched? I, I want to know, you know, we, we see him walk through symbolism in theory. Um, what I want to know is, was he ever practitioner uh was he a member of any Ooh. of the magical orders uh because some of his books that are in his collection at the at the grand lodge library it leads me to believe that if he was not a practicing ritual magician he was very interested in it uh so it makes me want to ask did he ever take that step mm -hmm. i love it that's a great question because uh you know We've said before that masonry is the outer porch for a lot of other fun side things and fun dependent bodies and and other magical orders. So that's awesome. Yeah, that'd be a great that'd be a great one. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> that that's uh, that that closes it out for for tonight. Um, again. Thank you very, very much for coming on. Uh, really good conversation. Uh, definitely everyone go go check out and get a copy of that book and uh, take a peek inside of what uh, one Texas Grandmaster's viewpoint of masonry was. So, yeah, for me, what I would ask is kind of what, uh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what would he say today about, about today's Freemasonry, right? But I guess in a positive spin, how would you reshape uh, masonry? How would you um, bring back some of the 
you know, the philosophical and esoteric side of, of masonry based on what you know, based on all the work and dedication he put into the craft. Like how would he would slowly shape Freemasonry into um, a different craft uh, or at least, at least one that he, he envisioned that it all relates to. So that would, that'd be my, my spin on that is to say, how do you, how do you take it where it is today and shape it into something a little bit different? Keep, keep the traditions, you know, keep the ritual, uh, but make it something that, um, as you said in the very beginning, right, that is something that is special, that people work hard for, that they, they contemplate on, and make it uh, make it their own. So, super awesome show. Thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you next week. Have a good night. Wow. And keep searching for more light. Wow. Nailed it. Keep searching for more light. Yay.